In this episode, we're having a one-word conversation with faculty. Most of us are familiar with the phrase, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Let's see what we can pull up in this conversation. The goal of this podcast is to place students and faculty into dialogue with each other over the issues that impact teaching and learning in community college. We want student and faculty voices to be authentic and raw. Yes, we're Generation Z. Like, come through. We want to hear how faculty are actually teaching and how students are actually learning. How confident are we all in that we are teaching the way students learn? We want to hear what resources are currently available and what needs are still not being met. I want, like, full campus exposure, not like, like, ah, you got to cut, you know what I mean? We want to engage the topics that make us salty. Oh, canvas! That make us hopeful. The Uprise and Mecha and Puente. And that make us educators. Through these discussions, we won't arrive at decisions or solutions. Rather, we hope to provide space for a range of perspectives weighing values and outcomes. When students talk about what has made them successful is always those personal connections they have with the faculty. A space where teaching and learning meet. Dangerous topics need a safe space. This is a podcast brave enough. Dumb enough? Um, empathetic. Yes, this is a podcast with empathy enough to create a safe space for dangerous topics. We're back for another one-word conversation with faculty. This time the word, Curry, is bootstraps. Bootstraps, that's right. What does that word mean to you, Sean? I, I, you know, it means a lot of things, and we're going to hear some of those things from me in this conversation, as well as from our uh, fellow faculty members. Uh, when I think of bootstraps, I do think of boots mm-hmm. immediately. Yes. But for some reason, you know, there's there's a connection to being in being an individual there too, right? Right, right. Grit, passion, that whole mm-hmm. yes. Stick to itiveness. That's right. Yes. That's right. Yeah, and so. We're, we're going to open it up, and uh, I really am excited to hear our colleagues uh, play with this one word and, and see what comes out of this conversation. All right, here we go. So, Alexis, when you hear bootstraps, what do, what do you think of? What comes to mind for you? Peace, okay. Um, well, I feel like I've been thinking about this word. We teach about this word a lot, but I've been thinking about it a lot lately in terms of how we succeed in our lives or how we succeed in school and how on the one hand i think about we have this american narrative that we we can work hard and and achieve our dreams and i think that that's an important narrative to have and i think on the one hand when we talk about bootstraps we have a tendency to want to throw away that narrative of the American dream, even though, of course, we know the American dream is rarely possible. But on the other hand, I think that when I think about bootstraps, we have this myth that is the American dream, that you can actually succeed in pulling yourself up and that if you work hard, all will go well. And I think that, you know, as I imagine it, I want to both allow for that dream to exist, but grounded in the reality that for most people, it's not actually possible. And what what makes it not possible, Alexis, as you're formulating that? Well, I mean, I guess when we think about the idea of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, it's that we can somehow 
uh, work in a particular way and save money and, you know, buy property or invest money. But the reality is for many of us, even, you know, making what many would consider a very good wage, we're still living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. Um, and that's before, you know, we have a healthcare crisis or before we have, you know, our car breakdown. And, and it's also, let me add one thing from anthropology that I think is really important. One problem with this sort of myth of the American dream is that we presume that humans are meant to be independent. We have this sort of like rugged individualism that, you know, but in fact, we've evolved to be the most social animal on earth. We necessarily rely on each other. And so while on the one hand, it might promote this idea of achieving um, for our own success, it also goes against our own biology. Right. And I mean, what we teach is pretty closely related with you with anthropology and me and sociology. And I talk about bootstraps and I talk about social reproduction, right? And how you're more likely to stay in the class that you came from, the social class that your parents were in, than you are to go up or down, right? And it's a tough one for me because, you know, I come from a, a single uh, mother home and, and my mom was an immigrant and she still makes very low wages to this day. And I've been able to um, achieve becoming a, a tenured professor. And so when I'm talking about this, I feel like they're looking at me, the students are, and they're like, well, look, you were able to do that. And I think it goes back to this interdependence that you're talking about, because I, I really stress to them that, you know, a lot of things had to go right for me to be where I'm, where I'm at. And I had to connect with a lot of people and they definitely had to support me. I mean, if a community college didn't exist, if a state university that is affordable didn't exist, if uh, GI benefits from uh, my dad's time in the military didn't exist, all of these things contribute to what you would consider to be my success. And I tell them that like the only non-renewable resource is time, right? Mm -hmm. So if I had started in a different spot, who knows where I would be? Maybe it wouldn't be a state school. Maybe it would be, you know, a more elite university. If, um, you know, I didn't have access to the community college and I didn't get a good paying job while being a high school dropout, mm -hmm. things would be a lot different. There's so many factors that go into it. And for every one of me that went on to graduate school and became a professor, how right. many people from my neighborhood are still living very similar lives as their parents? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I feel that too. I think when, when I think of that bootstrap uh, metaphor and idea, it everything that like Sean said and, and Alexa said is like me imagining that's what makes up the boot, right? So even if I feel like I've done all this on my own, right, and I lifted mm -hmm. myself by those bootstraps, uh, there are a lot of hands in making those boots, right? And so uh, for me specifically, it's not just like my family um, and all the support that I got uh, uh, from my community, but also uh, laws that were passed to create opportunities like financial aid and Cal Grant, you know, to Pell Grants for me to, you know, as a low income, um, you know, Chicano from East LA to get through those barriers so that I could achieve, uh, like Sean said, this like this position of, of privilege, right? Mm. Um, but talking about that, um, that the health crisis that Alexa mentioned, right? Like, I've been lucky to not have anything like that yet, hopefully, mm. uh, not anytime soon. Um, but at least my wife and I have like a buffer zone, mm. right, that we can kind of mm. like bear through that. Uh, but my dad got in a, a motorcycle accident um, 
early last fall. And uh, he, he just started his own business a couple years ago. Uh, he's a mechanic. I mean, he single, like single income home that we've uh, lived off of like our whole lives, uh, making less than like 30 grand a year, you know, mm-hmm. uh, all of that made me who I am. Yeah. But I saw firsthand last semester how uh, an event like that, getting mm-hmm. a motorcycle accident, cracking his um, uh, clavicle, he was just out of work for three months, you know, yeah. and, mm-hmm. and um, culturally, um, we were, were raised to be such hard workers, yeah. but through the need, right, the sheer need of he was the only person that, that worked in our family, uh, that, that weight on his shoulders, mm-hmm. right, um, to provide, and then having three months where he couldn't, yeah. where he, like, his, his kind of sole reason for existing, it felt like, was just to provide, uh, seeing that was really tough, right? And so it makes me reflect on, on like, again, those boots, right? That, that that's what has made me feel proud of, like, where I've gotten myself from, but recognize, um, like, the shoulders of giants that I'm standing on. Mm-hmm. And, and Nettie, you, you know, you're in computer science. Can you talk a little bit about that and what, what pulling yourself up by your bootstraps or that individualism mm-hmm. is in that particular field? No, I'm gonna ask the same question. Oh man, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I thought you were gonna go in a different direction because uh, <laughs> <laughs> go there. Well, yeah. I'll, 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 go, I'll go on both because uh, bootstrapping has a specific uh, connotation in our industry, right? Yeah. So I think a couple of years ago, uh, before I was teaching, uh, I would have gotten the super technical route, right? Of uh, when you turn on a computer, right? Your operating system is the first thing that runs, but that's what we see as users. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a bootstrap sequence happening in the background that has to be the first set of code mm. that actually runs the operating system code, right? That's so that's the bootstrapping idea, right? Yeah. And so uh, I find it really hard now as an educator uh, to bring in culturally sustaining uh, ideas, pedagogy approaches, you know, um, and just because I've never seen that in computer science, right, mm. instead in general. Uh, so I'm always, I feel like I'm grasping at this this ghost of what I would love my education to have been, right? Mm-hmm. Or what I would love to do as an educator, right? Um, but when terms like that come up, it, it becomes a little easier to kind of bring in those ideas um, and talk about that, right? And talk about like who made that bootstrap, right? Who made those boots um, and kind of start breaking down some of those bits uh, within the CS classroom, uh, especially as a Hispanic serving institution, especially when so many of our students are uh, low income or first gen, right? Um, to have that idea in that space, I think this kind of goes at your question, Sean, of, uh, to have that idea in that space is, is a small form of validation that I think mm-hmm. I didn't get until like deep into my career, right? And it's been a lot of, of years of, uh, for me, lifting myself by those bootstraps was like sucking up a lot of that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, emotional invalidation, the imposter syndrome, right? Mm-hmm. And so to bring a little bit of that into the classroom by still kind of balancing that technical kind of CS side, um, that's why it, what used to be a very triggering word for me now is kind of uh, empowering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because you were talking about how the term is used in your industry, but then there's also kind of how it's used, like the connotation within our field, uh, the idea of to bootstrap, right? The verb. In other words, to kind of use limited resources in order to move mm. forward, 
right? So how can you use the limited resources that you're provided in kind of a productive and creative way such that you can reach the goals that you want to reach, mm -hmm. right? So from that perspective, it's as if you can use it as a way of getting students to think in the classroom mm -hmm. about how they can use the resources that do exist, right? And use them in creative ways. Sure. So, so that's just where my head is right now. Yeah. And it was funny because it's kind of what you had pointed to and you're like, that's, it's actually what you were just talking about before this podcast began, right? Like you're in a sense kind of bootstrapping the curriculum, right? How can you use the current sources that are out there? Because there isn't kind of teaching pedagogies, et cetera, that currently exist in your field. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. So it's like, we're all in a sense kind of bootstrapping things together. Right. Well, and I'm thinking too that that we can parse bootstrapping for qualities that we really value. And I hear us talking about that a bit, right? So, and it's funny because we're in the pedagogical lounge, and I can see Angela Duckworth's book Grit right on the shelf. <laughs> right, right, right. But so that notion of just you know tenacity with passion, perseverance, and how you know in our own classes we really want to encourage that in our students, right? Um, but the critique, of course, of grit is that it ignores the apparatus, everything else that surrounds mm. success. So we can't just point to grit as mm. all the successful people have grit and that's, that's what gets them there. It's, there's so much more there, right? Mm. Um, timing, network, who you know. Um, and so that's the other question I had for you, Neri, uh, with computer science was, I'm reading um, Emily Chang's book, Rotopia, right now. Mm. And so she identifies, in, in, especially in computer science, you know, this early, uh, mm. A method for hiring that identified a uh, specific archetype of worker, right? A male who was antisocial, who could sit in a room for hours and code and do it with accuracy, right? And that that really shaped the entire industry. <laughs> Not right? really a teacher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? And so what, what Alexis, what you brought up earlier, just this, the American individualism and how that ignores the importance of community, right? And how we are programmed to be social um, uh, uh, I, I, you know, in computer science, you know, how, how many opportunities are there for community oriented work, right? Mm -hmm. um, right. And then how often does that individualism and that sort of baked in archetype mess that up, right? Yeah. You know, it, it's so interesting because it, you ask any instructor or anyone in the field that's hiring and, and maybe it's because it was this old kind of outdated idea, but that's the complete opposite now. Like any, any uh, industry partners we have are always asking about, um, you know, are we not just teaching the technical side and the content, are we addressing that, the, the kind of social capital that students have mm -hmm. to bring in or build, right? Right. Um, mm -hmm. in, our, in our industry. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think it, it, Yoso's model of cultural wealth comes in, right? That like a lot of our students come in mm -hmm. with that grit. They have um, mm. a lot of uh, of that bootstrap mentality, right? Yeah. Um, of leveraging those resources, right? Like you're getting that. Um, but how do we do it in the classroom, right? Mm. And I think that's always like the the rub when it's not just our industry that has like a, that kind of traditional way of interviewing to get those specific ideas of what a programmer is, but in our students, the way we teach, right, is kind of perpetuating and reproducing that, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I would say. Um, sorry. I, yeah, I just. Wanted, I was just, you know, you know, building off that last point, and I think that something that I keep thinking about too is that, like, and I brought this up when I was teaching that um, 
lesson at the cultural competency conference about like looking at things like pulling yourself up and making, you know, things available for students and yada, yada, yada. But one of the things that we miss and we so often miss are the structures that exist in the classroom itself. Like we view the classroom space as this uh, place for opportunity where we can mold our students. And, and one of the things that I said at the beginning was that we have to recognize like the fundamental whiteness of the classroom and that even if we're teaching something that goes against that or, or you know, um, illuminates those structures, we're still nonetheless, you know, perpetuating it by the way that we do that. And so if we think about it, um, you know, a key point about this bootstraps and we look at, you know, people pulling themselves up, like we have students that are working doubly hard to achieve the same end simply because they're in a structure that doesn't, you know, in the same way that like, I, I remember trying to explain to, you know, a male professor that as a female professor, we just get treated differently um, and looked at differently. And so I feel like I have this sort of double labor when I come into the classroom. Um, and I feel like when we think about our students pulling themselves up, we're also, it's our responsibility to recognize how we're perpetuating that. Like I explained to my students that, um, I just explained it actually about how the reason that they're doing the quizzes that I write or the papers that I assign is because I control their access to the basic necessities of life. And so as much as we might be, you know, recognize that we're still, you know, controlling their ability to, to reach those things. And so I wonder how much we're standing in the way or we're expecting that bootstrapping thing of them um, by, well, you know, I have a different approach in the classroom, but you still have to meet that. You know, I, I sort of wonder about, I don't know, structures and power or something very, I mean, tying back to Sean's point too about the most stable structure in, in our society, the class system. <laughs> right, and, and you're kind of getting to it as you talk here, Alexis, but I have a question for you. I think that when people hear whiteness in the classroom, oh. you know, that. that that's something that we hear, but can you give specific examples of what right. that looks like, what the structure is? Right, absolutely. So for example, well, besides the fact that we speak standard English in the classroom, which is white Anglo-Saxon Protestant dialect, right? It's that version of it. We just call it standard to hide, mm -hmm. you know, the power. Um, but uh, the, the distance we sit from each other at desks, um, the fact that we have our own chairs, the fact that you have to sit on chairs, um, the fact that the teacher typically stands in the front of the classroom, the fact that the students aren't allowed to sort of come up to the front of the classroom, the fact that we expect students to look at us, um, right? The, the way that we call out names on the first day or the way that we promote engagement in the classroom, the, you know, the way that we decorate the rooms, uh, you know, or not. Uh, yeah. or not, exactly. That sort of, we're like, oh no, it's just mechanical. I'm like, no, no, it's cultural. <laughs> but, you know, mm -hmm. it's all those, and, and, and it's those unseen things that, that have that impact. That is that, that trauma or that, that, that we, we only face when we recognize that we don't fit into a space. 
Well, and I think this is why it's so so intriguing and important to lean on like Yoso's models, right? And, mm. and to mm -hmm. recognize that students do thrive in cultural spaces, right? And that the real problem is just that this cultural space that I'm recreating here in this classroom may or may not resonate with what their experiences are and or be lend themselves to the mm. skills, knowledge, the ways of seeing, the ways of knowing, mm. right, that they bring. Um, and so, but, so my question is, if we're going to disrupt that space and, 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 and thinking specifically about bootstrapping, are we doing that for students that don't bootstrap in that space? In other words, are we allowing students who can navigate that space, who can be successful to be sort of one group, and we're trying to help others who struggle to kind of perform in that space? Or are we doing it for those students as well, students who are used to thriving in certain academic scenarios, given certain codes in the room like desks this way and teacher there who know how to navigate that do we just sort of like do we also disrupt that for them because we want more from them also do you know what i mean yeah i mean i think the evidence is in the disproportionate impact and in when we disaggregate by race and ethnicity and seeing that uh that culture is very real and some people are more likely to succeed and less likely to see succeed and you know you can't just kind of say that universally but we see the trends and it typically plays out much in the way of the other kind of uh ways that that um, performance or income or you know success uh plays out in other areas of life it's not just here at the community college it mirrors the the culture at large yeah and so like when you think about that, Tony, in the classroom, when you're cultivating your classroom culture, what, what do you think about this idea of like individualism, working hard bootstraps and the amount of support that you give students and, and balancing those things out? Well, so I'm going to go back to what I think I may or may not get to your question. Okay. <laughs> That's fine. That's no, fine. Let me know if I do, because as I was listening to this, um, I'm, not, I'm actually thinking of the term bootstrap. In, uh, not in this kind of deficit way, but more so in this positive way, because what it demands is that if you're using limited resources creatively, then being creative and being productive and using your critical thinking are actually these almost tacit skills that are being sharpened by virtue of forcing a bootstrapped approach towards anything. Sure. So like in the classroom, I think it makes sense to, and I think this is where I'm coming around to your question. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it makes sense to actually try to try to get everybody to bootstrap. In other words, get everybody to have to kind of use their resources in order to kind of think creatively towards a solution. And I think one way of doing that is to potentially remove a lot of the quote unquote standards uh -huh. and yeah. expectations that the students are already aware of right. via their 12 or 14 years of conditioning, <laughs> such that they're all then put in the same position, sure. right? Mm, so, 16 weeks. <laughs> well, no, but like, so for example, let's imagine uh, in a writing class that you remove the rubric, right? Mm -hmm. Or you do something like that. Uh, like for example, in my own classes, uh, we remove the idea of the five paragraph essay, right? Like this is this exercise that exists in very specific locations, it's very, very specific times, et cetera, but it's not how writing works in the world. Mm -hmm. So in that example, we've removed the standard because there's a ton of students who are gonna be in that room who already know, right? Without even coming to class, how to meet the expectations for that standard. And that gets at the disproportionate impact in the rest. But if we remove 
those standards and expectations for everyone in the room, or if we reframe what the expectations are, then we're actually asking the entire classroom to exercise their bootstrapping skills. I agree. I, I think that I, I think there's two things we can accomplish with that. I completely agree. And I love that idea. Although I kept thinking to myself, I would have to remove myself from the classroom too. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I also think one of the important things to do, like we may not be able to right away. And this is a, a thing that we talk about all the time in equity. Like, do we get rid of the structures completely because they're the ones that promote this inequality and yada, yada, yada. But I know I keep saying that, but um, they're, because they're, they're doing this or do we illuminate that these structures exist, but still teach a student these structures so that we're not sort of giving them a leg down. I'm sitting here thinking of the movie um, Pursuit of Happiness, you know, with Will Smith. You know. And like when you were saying bootstrapping, right, that just to my mind, I was like, you know, we're all just cheering for him. And it's such an amazing movie. And like, we're all so happy. But remember that moment when he got into jail because he had the parking tickets and then he had to get out um, because he had the job interview the next day. Like to me, I was like, yes, that's him bootstrapping and being able to like, you know, make it work. And I'm like, I agree that we should teach students to be as creative as possible but i think at the same time like the reality is he still achieved the end that you know was the you know the upper middle class you know harvard grads you know a destiny um right. so it wasn't like the end was ever different right mm. it was still that that ultimate goal was the same thing and we also missed the fact that like you know, he had to do all those things because, right, um, things like parking tickets penalize poor people um, or, yeah, right, disproportionately impact certain people. So part of one of the things I think, too, is not only challenging the standards, which I absolutely agree with, but also highlighting them because we yeah, can't yeah. do away with all of it. But at least be like, like I tell the students, yes, you're going to write in standard English. And yes, you know, you're, you're promoting the ideological domination that has existed since, right? The <laughs> founding of America. However, <laughs> I said, know that power, right? Um, I said, so I'm not telling you to start writing papers that don't conform to that. But I am telling you to, to recognize that if there is the opportunity to, to overcome that, do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, jump in. Uh, two quick things. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily either or. So I, I mm, absolutely I agree. Point. Uh, and I think sometimes it's a matter of, I think you used the, someone used the term illuminating. I think that's yeah. huge, yeah. right? Yeah. This kind of illuminating. And I think also what that means is that you can illuminate kind of the, the power that working within those frameworks has, but it doesn't necessarily mean, for example, in a writing class, that you have to do that four or five times in a row. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. so, so you don't have to kind of keep doing it. Uh, so then that allows space for some of the other kind of yeah. uh, creative endeavors, uh, et cetera, to kind of play out in the classroom. Um, and then the, the second point that I wanted to make 
to remember where my second point just went. Yeah, yeah. Um, It'll feel, someone feel free to. And while, while you're thinking about yeah. that, you know, you bring up this movie re reference, and we'll have to put a spoiler alert in the show notes for Pursuit of Happiness <laughs> for those who haven't seen it. Uh, yeah, it's long enough ago, right? But yeah. but another really old movie is um, that one's not really old, but this one's a really old movie is uh, The Bicycle Thief, and it's an Italian movie. And I just love this movie so much because the guy gets his bike, spoiler alert, the guy gets his bike stolen. He's just going through trouble after trouble after trouble. It's yeah. tough. He's yelling at his kid. He's having the worst time. And then at the very end of the movie, he kind of gets roughed up by a crowd. And then he kind of just walks off and the credits start rolling. And... <laughs> And I feel like it's more true to life, right? right like, if right. you don't have the fairy tale ending, right. it's more like you're just gonna move right. on and you, you yeah. still don't have your bike, right? right? right. And, and so, you know, it goes to this idea of that quote of, you know, preparing the child for the road or preparing the road for the child. And I think this mm. comes up a lot in equity conversations is like, you know, is, is there something that we're doing? Like, can we do too much to support? where, you know, mm. maybe bootstrapping would be beneficial for people to use the limited resources they have in the most creative, innovative, and um, productive ways possible? Or are, are we, you know, this idea of making things too easy, mm. right? And what does that mean? And what does easy mean? And what does that lead to? And what kind of um, consequences, are, you know, will, would result from something like that? Yeah. Can I hop in for a sec? Yeah, Sorry. yeah. This idea of making things too easy is fascinating for me if we mm. flip it and we look at ourselves as the instructors in the class yeah. and how we prepare for classes. Because, and I learned this from a mentor early on. I think often, like, we tend to make sure that we don't have to bootstrap in the classroom. So mm. we create two hours worth of material knowing we're only going to be in there for an hour and 15 minutes. And in a sense, what we've done is we've made it too easy for ourselves. Sure, because sure, what sure, happens, sure. and this is not me, this is the mentor telling me after yeah. he observed my class, yeah. right? That what happens is we don't create those those limited resources that allow for the productive, innovative, and creative thinking to take over. Mm -hmm. So if we create, if we go in with limited resources and we have that fear about, but what about all that silent space? What am I going to do? Right. Yeah. What we realize is that we actually start listening to the students, right? right? <laughs> because we need them now to become one of the resources for the classroom, right? And so by kind of bootstrapping our own kind of pedagogical approach, yeah. I think it can actually aid students right and th those weren't my views either i'm just yeah, 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 conversation yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, for sure yeah, yeah. You know, i think the idea is so interesting because uh, like the way i used to teach or create like labs in my classroom a couple years ago is very different now because I, I felt like i was doing what you said tony like i was like trying to create that space right yeah. but it goes back to like what alexis was saying with the power right is this like control as a faculty that we have and so even in, in my, my pedagogical approach of teaching, I would create like um, pitfalls on purpose within the lab, restrictions within the lab, and give them that kind of free space mm -hmm. to navigate with the idea of I'm doing this on purpose so that you see these limitations and you learn how to navigate around them mm -hmm. and you can be creative in that space, right? But even that is still like that form of control, right? It's yeah. still, right? So uh, like, yeah. there's so many layers yeah. to that, right? Mm. And so I, I feel so much of what you said right now because um, this semester I'm, I'm doing a flipped classroom, um, having like observed one person do it in physics. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Joe Solomon. Um, <laughs> having like read up on it and been like, all right, let's dive in, right? And just kind of trusting, right? That idea of like, 
like can i give that power to the students yeah. to teach me yeah. and teach each other mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and i think it goes back to your your um i think that definition of bootstrap that you brought in to me feels like such a hard contrast to like I guess the reality that Alexis brought in, right? That kind of like yeah. the anthropological, sociological, mm -hmm. right, right, version. Um, and I think in the classroom, like I'm, I'm feeling it and living it because it's been so uncomfortable to let go of that control and mm -hmm. power. And I'm still like trying to find ways to like hold on to it because yeah. that's the comfort, <laughs> yeah, right? right? Absolutely. But that's where the students have been able to like because I've given them a little bit of that space. I'm still doing it, right? Yeah. But I give them a little more space to like shine right and mm. going back to that idea of like the individualism that we're yeah that we're mm. taught um that we still live in right mm -hmm. um and trying to flip it into the like collectivist approach of how do we like learn this together yeah is still so uncomfortable when like i want to assign you a grade at the end of the day yeah how mm. do i assign points to this discussion mm -hmm. how do i right mm -hmm. and, and i think for me specifically coming from stem um, there's so few examples of that I've seen in like CS and STEM that it's really hard to find like my my grounding and my footing. Yeah, yeah, and it's not just it's not just a comfort zone; it's an expectation, right? right? Because it's you know the work that we do is so transactional. It's like you get this yeah. for me, yeah, 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 I have yeah. this to give to you. You right. give this back to me. Yeah. I evaluate, right? And so it's not it, that that's their expectation coming in the room too with what Tony said that. 12, 14 years of conditioning yeah. prior to even stepping foot in our class. Right. And they're not going to let go of that. Right. And so the students that are in there who know how to navigate the system, who want to get that A, whatever we say is now the new rules of the game, however we're disrupting it, they're going to look for those rules and figure <laughs> out that. But I think, Neri, what you're doing is by creating space for them to collaborate naturally there are roles that are going to emerge mm -hmm. and through that process a character that will be, start to form and i think that's what's really exciting because mm -hmm. for those students who just want in and want out and get the grade and move on we have an opportunity to disrupt that system mm -hmm. for them in a way that i don't know if i'm comfortable with like having them be the teachers of the knowledge right as much as i'm more excited about an opportunity for them to really engage with inquiry mm -hmm. and through a collaborative process sort of just allow everybody to feed off that. You know what I mean? Like, right, does that make sense? To be less less concerned with answers and more concerned with questions. That's kind of it. Thing, less, right? I think there's the opportunity for us to get away from the transaction. Mm -hmm. Even though that transaction will take place even around that, right? That might be the context of why they came up to class that day and did what they did and prepared as they did. But in the moment, right, if we're really co conscious about who are the leaders emerging? And when last time there were three students who weren't speaking at all, how can I intervene for them? Mm -hmm. The students spoke all the time. How can I intervene for that? By the end of the semester, we'll facilitate situations in which, you know, uh, every student has a chance to grow. Every student has a chance to bring their own way of speaking, their own way of seeing. Um, but I want to I want to pivot real quick. Oh, you want to jump in, Tony? Go for it. I was just going to say those conversations also allow us to do what Alexis has said earlier about illuminate. And I would add value, yeah. right? Because right. what happens is in these sorts of conversations, you can pinpoint certain things that have value culturally, right? But then you can also move quickly beyond that, right? And you can have the questions, but, 
but why does it have value, right? Mm -hmm. And it's one thing to know that if you write it like that, it's going to get you somewhere. But it's another thing to understand the cultural values, narratives, and ideologies that underpin that and give it value. And so those are the conversations that you can have. And then you can see how certain students who are having those conversations can be validated for their ideas, even if they don't yet meet those standards or even if they're sharing something beyond those standards. Totally, Mm -hmm. yeah. Alexis, you want to jump in? Oh, well, I, I mean, if you were going to pivot, I, my last point, I guess my question too, though, I think that we think about a lot or that I think we all should be asking ourselves is like, what are we doing? Like, what is our goal in the classroom? Are we teaching like some practical skill? Like, you know, you should be able to, you know, change a tire by the end of class or, you know, as someone who teaches anthropology, which, you know, I mean, whatever. It doesn't have many practical applications. Um, but I just, I, I also have a degree in philosophy. I was just all about practicality. Um, but I, I, yeah. I, I remember one time putting that I wanted one of my um, learning outcome goals or whatever was empathy. And then, of course, I got, you know, knocked down. Like, you can't, you know, how do you measure empathy? And I'm like, well, you know, how do you measure understanding? But whatever. Um, but I, I, I guess I also think when we talk about bootstrapping, are we also, again, you know, doing that pursuit of happiness thing where we still have this ideal goal? Like, uh, my student will end the class, like, you know, to be honest, and I'm okay saying this on recording. I don't care if they learn all the anthropological concepts. I'll test them on it, but I don't feel like they're a better person because of it. I'd rather them be able to, to maybe understand and love science or, you know, grasp that humans are different or, you know, like, um, be able to see another culture having value. Um, you know, be able to basically use their mind as, you know, like, you know, in more creative ways. And so I think too, we also have to ask ourselves as professors, like, are we still even promoting creative ways, still looking for that end goal of the, you know, the six figure salary at the, you know, law firm or whatever it might be. You know, I, you know, what's that goal? Yeah. I think when I, when I try to answer those big philosophical questions, uh, for me, when I look at the classroom, I think that the, the value that a student takes from the class is the value that a student, an individual student, takes from that class. In other words, part of being in the class yeah. is the student learning what parts of that class can be made meaningful for that student, right? right? And, so, and I think that that framing is much different than here's 90% if you get these scores on these many tests, et cetera. Right. And if that kind of, um, what do I want to call it, kind of underground thinking about the course is made more overt in more courses, then I think that the students will start to see that their GE education or their college education actually can be meaningful for their lives outside of the classroom, even if they don't, even if yep. it doesn't seem practical. That's right. Yep. What are we doing in the computer science classes? Her question of what are we doing? Like, what, what is that? It's like, what are my goals, my outcomes, like what we're trying to achieve? Uh, it, I feel like we're serving multiple masters, right? Like, especially at the community college, like trying to train them for the workforce, trying to train them to transfer. Um, and then personally, like, like with Alexa, like I, I echo what Alexa said, like 
I don't really care if you understand a specific CS concept, you know? And, and it took me many years to kind of undo and uh, like unbrainwash those things because I, I can like, you know, content wise connect these dots of how all of these things are important to each other and are, are, you know, scaffolded layers to get me to these huge topics and concepts that are going to get you that job. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, I know you're not going to remember any of that shit. Like, <laughs> like, I, like I, I remember like being like teaching my first class in grad school uh, on my own, building the curriculum and teaching like the first class that I took as an undergrad and be like, oh, that's what that was. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, I tell, and I tell students that because it's so fucking crazy to me that it took me five years, a degree Okay. like starting grad school to then like have it click right yeah. <laughs> so like again why what is my purpose for this class and for being here you yeah know? but you're also practicing that in really radical ways this semester Nettie, by saying okay this week we're studying this uh, concept methods mm -hmm. but we're going to talk about voting suppression mm -hmm. and we're going to talk about that as an issue mm -hmm. and we're going to talk about that for however long we want to and get our heads around it and then we're going to use that concept to then come back to methods mm -hmm. as a way of right organizing and outputting and so you're you're literally in front of your students saying there's going to be some relevance to what we're doing here and we're going to see some consequences to what we're doing here in computer science mm -hmm. right um and whatever experience those students have you've given them multiple opportunities right to kind of determine on their own right what sticks what doesn't what's interesting what's not yeah yeah and it, and it goes back to like what you and alexis were saying of like how am i preparing them for um, like a better way of approaching this or what I, I'm deeming a better way, a different way. Right. Yeah. Um, or am I like doing a disservice to them by not preparing them for what they're real realistically going to see. Right. right? They're realistically going to see that huge lecture hall yeah. where you're just a number. Yeah. Again, right? Right. Yeah. And, and so I think it took me a while. And, and again, shout out to Joe Solomon to like kind of convince me, right. Like I've, I've been convinced of, I, I, there has to be a, a different, better way, right? Yeah. But for him to like convince me, like, uh, you you have to let go of that, right? Like control, right? You have to let go of like, uh, like content coverage doesn't mean teaching, right? right? Mm -hmm. And that alone was like, right? Mm -hmm. The the breath of fresh air I needed that push off the cliff to be like, okay, like, what do I really want them to know? Like, yeah. I need them mm -hmm. to find those resources, mm -hmm. right? And, and to leverage like the skills that they already have to find those resources. Yeah. And so it. As soon as I lifted that gate, it opened up to a whole bunch of other possibilities, right? Of things that we specifically tell them not to do in CS that are those resources, right? Those gateways that we're creating, right? So don't use Google, right? right? Like you're not supposed to search for the answers, right? Yeah. And, but there's, they, our students, you know, I think we can use a lot of deficit-based language for them, but they, they care so much and they try so hard that they will take what you say very literally right right because right. they respect you that's right. enough to say okay i'm not going to search for anything online right yeah. like i'm going to take it to the next level yeah. you know right. or i say the homework has to be done on your own right right because you have to prove yeah. individualistically right yeah that you can do this and so they never seek help. Right. Totally. And then the research shows that students who do homework in a community <laughs> do far better than those who do it in that's right, that's right. Yeah. And then we hear back from our students that actually yeah. get to transfer, right? Yeah. From Berkeley, from UCLA, from yeah. like UCSD. And they're like, man, how come we don't do more work 
in groups because that's <laughs> all we do there, you know? Right. So even our, our own perceptions of what we're supposed to do that right. are antiquated are yeah. still like yeah. false, you know? Yeah. So speaking of your students in your class, yours is about to start in eight minutes, yes. I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so yeah. thanks for... Minutes. Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. <laughs> <laughs> are there any final thoughts we want to end on? Alexis, any final... I just think I, I didn't realize they couldn't Google. I always tell my students, I'm like, Google knows everything. I always had like, <laughs> you know, I don't know half the questions they ask me in class. I'm like, but Google knows, don't worry. So I don't know, you know, I think, yeah, being open to that. I, I really appreciate having this conversation and, and awesome. sharing our ideas. I think, hey, speaking of bootstraps, a last thought, I think we have that, that attitude towards our fellow professors. And I think there needs to be, uh, I would love to see a generation of professors that work on, you know, supporting and uplifting each other. Because I think that, that again, look at this, look what we're able to do when we um, uh, get along and are happy. And so I think that I hope to see this not only for our students, but for ourselves. Cool. Awesome. Just thanks, everyone. I love these conversations. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Yeah, thanks. I think uh, it's a rare opportunity that we get to, to share these thoughts and uh, that although there's like a lot of discomfort in like kind of changing those ways that there's like this huge reward at the end, you know, and I think dealing with that discomfort is is trying to flip that power structure for our students and give them right. like kind of show them that we're sweating too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's okay. <laughs> Yeah, and I feel like having, you know, that individualistic mentality within the structure of what we call a community college, you know, the mm. irony is not lost there. It, it's just, it, it, it's a difficult thing because people subscribe to it. It's what the, the culture teaches. It's what, the, you know, most of the messages that uh, we all get, um, you know, and we, we begin to subscribe to that. But, you know, all it, all it takes is one maybe small, but maybe large step back to see how interdependent we really are and that bootstrapping and bootstraps doesn't have to be a bad word, but it doesn't necessarily have to be accurate either for, for the way to be uh, quote unquote successful mm -hmm. in, in our society. Yeah. Uh, I've never had boots with actual straps. So I'm a little <laughs> no, I've like, never. Yeah, yeah. I, I was hoping we get into. The, just the, yeah, there's a small yeah. one in the back, but like an actual like that you could pull yourself up with. That, That's what this was really about. Yeah, Where did we go? Yeah. Yeah. Other ones or have our images been all wrong the whole time? Maybe, yeah. Maybe with the students. We're talk about actual boots. <laughs> all right. Thanks, everybody, so much. Thank you. Awesome. Wow, we heard a lot there, and I feel like that was a really rich conversation. Man. Uh, lots to unpack there, yeah. and I think we should just stick to a couple things because they, they, they said it for themselves. No doubt, yeah. So Alexis uh, introducing that concept of let's not just – one way is to dismantle structures. Another important way is to illuminate structures. I feel like that created a, a the ridge of the conversation. We 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 come back came back to that quite often. Um, and but also Tony's uh, sort of taking the word bootstrap as a constructive approach, bootstrapping a curriculum in order to facilitate. Uh, creativity and critical thinking I thought was also really interesting. What I loved about this conversation and the ones we've had thus far is that it is illuminating, it is shining a light on what we're doing 
and we get to actually explore that with the people who also do that and then the people that we serve, uh, the students. And so I think Illuminate was really, really good for us to dive into this conversation. And then, yeah, Tony came in and had a lot to say about you know, this idea of bootstrapping being beneficial mm-hmm. and, you know, being resourceful mm-hmm. and how it, you know, cultivates those kind of skills for students and how everybody can leave with something else or something something different but may ultimately be valuable. That's right. That's right. That's right. Um, I was also struck by uh, the emphasis on community. And Alexis also brought this up really early, right? And it's true. You know, um, a really good friend of mine, he... Uh, he, he's a lawyer, but he but he lives and works in Myanmar, and their community is the, the 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 center of everything, right? To the point where individuality and individual interests are such a low priority. And he and I have all these interesting conversations. Just the difference between Western society, especially American society, and what he's experiencing there, and it makes me think of my own classes. How how often am I creating assignments that are forcing my students to work as individuals mm-hmm. and are denying? And we this came up too towards the end, right? Um, are are precluding opportunities to work in groups, right, or to work collaboratively. Yeah, and I mean, neither of these are necessarily my view, but you can see that it kind of works both ways, you know, in these uh, collectivistic, you know, these societies that are defined by collectivism, they may... Um, de-emphasize the individual too much, someone could argue, right? Right, that's right, that's right, that's right. In a country like ours, we may discount the uh, interdependence and the community that we live in and and how much help we actually get from others. So it's really interesting to frame it both ways and kind of see how we're living both ways simultaneously. That's right, that's right. Um, And so ultimately, for me, what I'm going to take away and what I'm going to hope, you know, we can kind of provoke in a discussion with students next time um, is this possibility of of building character and allowing students to become agents self-determining their own goals despite whatever outcome is attached to the class or our discipline or assumptions about as being as faculty um, just creating like what does that look like what's possible there when we shift the outcomes of a class experience uh, uh, onto the student like that, right? Yeah, and that's what Alexis brought up toward the end, and it was really important, was this idea of asking, what are we doing? Yeah, yeah. And kind of determining the why. That's right. Right, and it goes back to that discussion of power, because even if we do determine the why, that's us doing that, right? Right. Where's the agency for the student, and who gets to decide what the why is in any given class, any given education, right, and that, that kind of experience. And, you know, there's a lot more of them than there are of us sure. in terms of students. <laughs> there's a lot more of them than faculty members, and I'm really just looking forward to hearing what students have to say about this same one word, these bootstraps. Absolutely. Yep. Cool. Look for episodes coming out soon wherever you download podcasts. Subscribe and find our website at c3.maricosa.edu. We'd like to say thank you to Kelly Barnett for engineering and producing this episode. We'd also like to say thank you to James Garcia for creating the show notes and managing our social media. Thank you for listening to the Safe Topics Podcast.